when I'm writing out what I'm going to say. And yes, I do write it out because uh, thank goodness there's a backspace button. Okay. I don't have that when I talk out loud and there's a lot of um and on when I talk. So having it wrote out helps me get it up here, which is very important. So last time, uh, Thursday night, we talked of how the Pharisees and the Sadducees saw and they heard all that Jesus did, but they did not believe. We went through how small geographically Israel is, how they had to have heard, how many people were following him, how many people were searching him out, of how the people glorified God because of all that he was doing. We talked about how the scribes and the Pharisees tempted him by asking for a sign after they saw the sick uh, healed, after they saw the lame healed, after they saw the, uh, the lame walking, the, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, after the dumb to speak, after they heard and saw all of that, they did not believe. But there is a term used called certain of the Pharisees. This is meant to describe a group that wanted him, Jesus, gone. For not all the Pharisees were in agreement to get rid of Jesus. Not all of them were. What we are going to do today is we're going to look at a couple more instances where the scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders, or what have you, question him, try to ridicule him, and engage him in a contest of words. Yet we seem to forget and ignore a very important part. And that point is, according to John 12, 42, Many of the rulers of Israel believed in him. But fear of, the, of certain of the Pharisees, the religious folk, made them keep quiet. It happened in Jesus' day. And it happens today where fear of others keeps you quiet. Also, the point I will make towards the end is this. There were those that believed on him even in the group, even in the group of those that wanted to kill him, there are those that believed on him. Even in the group that was so hostile against him, they were in a group that hated him so much that they lied and created a kangaroo court to get rid of him. But there are those in that group that believed on him. If ever you want to stop reaching because you don't think you won't reach anyone. Just remember Jesus did. And tonight we're going to talk of how Paul did. If Jesus did, and if Paul did, we can too. So let's get started with the ridicule and the opposition to Jesus before we get to the part where many saw and believed, where many heard and believed, but didn't make it public. Luke 6, 1. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first, that he went through the cornfields, and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. So on the second Sabbath, now there's two trains of thought on this. One is there was a high holy day and then another Sabbath just after it. And then others are talking about the second Sabbath as a consecutive Sabbath through the year. Um, at certain times there is more than one Sabbath, if you remember. Days of Passover, uh, Pentecost. Now, this Pentecost that this is talking about is an agricultural holiday, not Pentecost as we know it, where the, Spirit, <clears throat> where the Spirit came down. And a few others were considered Sabbath days or high holy days, and therefore to remember and marked as such. 
Passover was a week-long celebration, very closely tied to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, all to commemorate their departure from Egypt. Now, Jesus, when he died, he died in Passover week, what we call the Passion Week. It was Passover week, just before the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, just as happened in the Exodus. In fact, both of those holidays are still observed to this day in Israel, and they are just as strict about what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath day as they were back then. I worked for uh, a man who observed Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and for 10 days, we were not allowed to order anything with grain in it. He was a Jewish man who owned the business. We were not allowed to order anything with grain in it. That's how strict that uh, they are about their holy days. Yet, what the scribes and the Pharisees did was to make the rules of the Sabbath to be so onerous as to be a burden when God intended it as a day of rest. It wasn't a day to worry about how much you were doing. It was a day to not do anything but the necessary things, reflect upon your week, reflect, reflect upon God. It was meant to be a restful day as God himself rested on the seventh day. Here, though, if the hungry, and this is according to the Pharisees, if a man was hungry and he had corn in his hand and they had to husk it and they had to clean it, they could not rub it together to clean it. <laughs> no, the Pharisees were so strict on this nonsense that they were making them take the grains and, and toss it from hand to hand, blowing on it to clean it. Have you ever tried that? It's not easy. It's really not very productive either. This was such a perversion of God's law on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was intended to be a gift to man from God, but it has become a veritable mental jungle gym to try to remember what you could and couldn't do on that day. Trying to remember all the rules, regulations, customs, and nonsense must have been ridiculously hard. Luke 6, 2. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day? So all they're doing is they're taking ears of corn, they're rubbing it between their hands to get the husks and the fibers off so that they can eat the grain of the corn. And the Pharisees are saying, um, We know you're hungry, but what you're doing is unlawful. Certain of the Pharisees, now every time it says that, you know which ones were certain of the Pharisees, for they were the ones criticizing and denouncing him. And eventually they were ones that set him up for trial to, to cause his death. So certain of the Pharisees said, Why do ye that which is not lawful on Sabbath days? So they asked Jesus, Why do, you do, why do your disciples do that which is not lawful? Now this, what they were doing, rubbing the ears, was not against the law of God. Nor was it against the Mosaic law. So what law was it against? Hmm. There was a law in the Mosaic law that you cannot reap your field. Reap your field on the Sabbath day. Yet plucking an ear to fill your belly is considered by the religious leaders to be reaping the field. How stupid is that? In fact, if you remember from Ruth, those who have fields were encouraged to leave food for the hungry. 
for free. Leave some of your harvest for the hungry, for the poor. But here, the Pharisees are saying, no, no, no. I don't care how hungry you are. You can't eat that. That's you, you got to blow on it to clean it. This is leaps and this is the leaps and bounds they took to corrupt the Sabbath and put their own interpretations and definitions on it. This is what drove the people away from God. Luke 6, 3, And Jesus answering them said, after being asked why his disciples do this, Jesus answering them said, Have you not read so much as this, what David did when himself was in hunger and they which were with him. David, great king of Israel. So he's using him as an example. He says how he went into the house of God and did take and eat the showbread and gave also to them that were with him, which it is not lawful to eat, but for the priests alone. David, great king, revered by all of Israel. He was on the run from Saul, if you remember. He went into the temple, or the, the synagogue, the, the holy, they didn't have the temple yet, tabernacle. And he said, give me to eat. He said, all we got to show bread. And David said, okay, I'm hungry, let's eat it. And the priest says, you can't, it's only for the priest. And he says, well, are you and your men clean? Have you abstained from women? And David said, well, yeah. <laughs> well, we know from David, he probably didn't. And the priests gave him the bread. Why? Because they were hungry men. They needed to eat. When David was hungry, he ate the showbread that was holy and cooked for an offering to God. David did not equate himself to a priest, but was a hungry man who needed food. And the priests deemed it okay to give David and his men the showbread. There was no sin in that. You fed a hungry man. Do you think God wants to break, consecrate it more than a man who's starving to eat? No. Here, plucking an ear of corn and removing the husks is a sin when the men are hungry. It's ridiculous. Now, Jesus is about to put them in their place. And he said unto them in Luke 6, 5, that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath is another reason why his disciples do this. Jesus has rebuked them with the reason of need. He has rebuked them with the uh, reason of hunger. He has rebuked them with the reason of necessity. And the final nail in the coffin, that he, the Son of Man, is Lord of the Sabbath. He, not they, shall determine what sin is on the Sabbath, not man. He wrote the rules. He ought to be able to interpret them properly, right? Luke 6, 6. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. Now there's two points to be made here. First, it's, it's interesting that an unlearned carpenter's son was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. This was a spot usually reserved for the doctors and lawyers, the scribes and the Pharisees. Yet Jesus walks in, teaches, and astounds them with his powerful teaching. So as you remember, the synagogue was a meeting place, a church for the Jewish folks, as we have stated. Yet the method of teaching was not the same. They didn't do what we do. For instance, they would have several people stand and read from the scriptures. 
And there was no marking or predetermined verse for them to read. They could find their favorite verse and they could read that. Jesus, if you'll remember, he read a verse and then said, this day is that verse fulfilled in front of you. And then he sat down and that sparked a, a debate. So Jesus read verses and then debated or taught as questions were asked about what he had just read. And this led him, led to him being called master or rabbi, for he was very learned in the scriptures. Again, he wrote them, he better have been. Luke 6, 7, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against him. This is fascinating, because it says, there was a man whose right hand was withered in 6.6. 6. And the scribes and the Pharisees, knowing, probably a plant, they probably brought this man in. Knowing this man was there, they watched Jesus to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. They, they, they took the Sabbath to such ridiculous lengths. They watched him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Their priorities were absolutely in the wrong place. They were all about the Sabbath, but not a day for the good of man. It was another day where they could make the people feel less than adequate, less than they themselves. What corrupt people that drove men away from God. Luke 6, 8. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing, talking to the scribes and Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And looking round about upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness and commune one another with what they might do to Jesus. Think about that. Jesus didn't do a thing. He stood there. He said, bring forth your hand. The hand came forth, and the hand was healed. He didn't do anything. He didn't touch him. He didn't move. He did nothing. But he thought, and it happened, and they considered that a sin, because it's the Sabbath day. Jesus heals on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees lose their mind over it, for the Sabbath is sacred. You know those people. More sacred than the healing of a withered hand? More sacred than restoring a man's ability to care for himself? They are absolutely right. The Sabbath is sacred. It is set aside as a day of rest, but not as a day of immobility and fear. They have created the misery of the people, the fear of the religious, that's what they've created, and they have made God an evil master to the people, strict, unloving, and only worried about what you do. They use God as a whipping post, a blunt instrument, rather than teaching the people of a loving, caring father. The Pharisees Sadducees and scribes are an awful people. They use the religion of God, the religion of God, not God, 
not the scriptures, but the religion that they have taught the people, they use that to make money, to expand their authority, and to keep the people in subservience. This is totally against all that God has wanted. Yet, and this is where we get to the other part, through all of this, there are those that believed. Certain of the scribes and Pharisees wanted him dead to keep their power. But there are certain that believed. John 12, 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now that is not a good testimony. That is actually very, very bad. They feared the Pharisees and did not want to be put out of the synagogue. Read that. As they did not want to lose their position, their power, or their money. And we sit here and we go, oh no. And we shake our heads at them. Oh my, what horrible people they were. We blame them. But how many of us do the same with our testimony? That we be not ridiculed among our peers. How many of us stay silent when we might offend for fear of the people? How many of us go along to get along instead of being a tried and true testimony? Don't start blaming them until you look around yourself. When your fellows say something, do you stand up or do you sit down? When your peer group decides to do this or that and you know you shouldn't, but you do it anyway so they don't think badly of you. They're really no different than we are, are they? John himself, John the disciple was there. He knew and he saw what went on. Now he is writing this after the death of Jesus. He is writing this because if you will remember, John was the only disciple at the cross. John was the only one there with Mary, the mother of Jesus. John was there. He saw everything. He is writing this after the death of Christ. And what did he see after the death of Christ? He saw Nicodemus and Joseph get the body of Christ openly. Take it and bury it in the tomb of Joseph. These two could not have done this secretly. There were no more secrets. They had to go to Pilate openly asking for the body of Jesus. They are now out in the open as his followers. There's no more secrets. John 19:38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes about a hundred pound weight. Joseph, being a disciple of Jesus, John, 
John was there. John saw everything. He's an eyewitness. John says Joseph is a disciple. Not just a follower. A disciple of Jesus. Nicodemus, who at first, in John 3, at first came to Jesus by night. These two openly went and asked for the body. They went and took down the body. They had people who did it, not they themselves. But They were about to expend a fortune to bury the body of the man that they called teacher. They believed, as did many, for they heard and saw what he said and what he did over his years on this earth. Thursday night and tonight, uh, this morning we saw those that heard and saw all he did. We looked at their refusal to believe, their outright hostility and persecution. And now we are seeing at least two that felt the touch of the master on their heart, on their soul, and now on their lives. I'm trying to use this as an absolute an absolute pick-me-up to those of us who for years and years have tried to reach someone. Even Jesus had trouble reaching some of the hearts of the men, and they saw all he did. They heard what he said. They saw what the events that happened while he was on the cross, yet they chose to believe not. But there were some that did believe. Do not lose heart. Keep on trying. Keep on being a testimony. Keep on being faithful and true. You will never know the full extent of your reach until we get to the other side. You won't know who heard and who believed. You won't know who refused. You won't know those who did in secret until we get to the other side. Do not give up. Keep your testimony strong. Keep your witness strong. You never know that the one day you stop, that might be the day they hear. Do not give up. This is why we sing little as much. Little as much when God is in it. Do not give up. The Spirit can reach them. Keep on going. Even Jesus and Paul had trouble reaching some people. But there were some in those groups they couldn't reach that they did reach. And that, for us, should be a lifting of our souls, knowing that there are those that will, even among those that won't.